Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book writer Farhan Qureshi about what comics he would take into a super-intelligent ape uprising apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout-out to our sponsor, Comic Scene, where you can read comic news and become part of a community of fellow comic lovers. To find out more, be sure to visit comicscene.org. And on a side note, if you enjoy the show today, please leave a review for us on iTunes, Spotify, or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will let me know that you liked it, but believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, Farhan Qureshi. How's it going? Uh, hey, Sam. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on the call. Ah, oh, absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. And um, yeah, no, you've uh, you've bolted your way back um from <laughs> from from wherever you are i don't want to say but um yeah no thank you for um for for, for being on the show yeah that's no, great i've been uh listening quite heavily to uh some of your shows so this will be a lot of fun i'm sure oh you bet you bet uh now for anybody that hasn't come across you just yet in the world of comics what do you do I often ask myself that as well. I, I ask myself why I do it as well as, well as what I do. Every day, every day. Um, so I guess if a term would probably be indie comic creator, which um, in of itself means a lot of things, everything from writing, which is the whole reason why I got into comics is because I wanted to write comic books. But as as an indie creator, you're everything from sorting out the contracts to the artist, to production manager, to scheduler, which is actually the easier part. The, the more difficult part is is the marketing and the Kickstarters and the mm. distribution and packaging envelopes and <laughs> going to the post office <laughs> model, having people hate you in the post office line. Um, <laughs> when you, you, bet. Books there. you bet. <laughs> but primarily as a, as a writer um, is why it is the thing that I... I it's ironic, but the thing that you, reason you do it is actually one of the least. If I look at the percentage of time that I spend yeah. writing, it's probably less than ten percent of the time uh, when you're an indie comic creator. But, um, but yeah, the, the books that I've done are people might know me from my series Arc Digitopia, which was a free yeah. series book that I launched on Kickstarter. Believe it or not, it's, this is the five year anniversary, so it'll be twenty eighteen. Wow. Um, and then the last year Battle Panda, which uh, perhaps we'll talk about as we go on. Yeah, absolutely. And that and the Kickstarter for for issues one and two is just coming up, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it was going live on Kickstarter on Saturday, the 29th of April. I should have memorized it. Yeah, 29th of April, and it'll go until uh, 28th of May, which is a Sunday. So um, hopefully if uh, people are listening during that yeah. time period, they can find it. For sure. And yeah, no, I've, I've, I've had a, a, a quick look myself and it just, it looks really, really fun. Um, and uh, yeah, you can, for, for, for those that are listening um, Monday the 24th, you can just go um, click on the Kickstarter link and uh, click on the, the pre-notification uh button 
on the Kickstarter page there. But for for, for anyone that hasn't come across Battle Panda just yet, um, give us a flavour of what it's all about. So when I wrote Battle Panda, I really just wanted to write a fun comic book that people want to reread. And it harkens back to our favourite shows, our favourite books. You kind of want to read it, even though you've read it, you've read it again. Hopefully there's something else you'll see in it the second time. So it's a fun buddy road trip adventure. Um, kind of like, I would say it's kind of, this is this uh, really, I don't know if people might consider it a trash movie or not, but it's one of my favourite movies called Big Trouble mm-hmm. in, in Little China. It's sure. kind of like pandas um, in this kind of mystical landscape. Not Not full on magic, not soft magic, but they're kind of in this, really interesting world where they go on a road trip together. It's a group of misfits. They don't fit into any tribe. They've got to come together to kind of protect the land, all of their lands from this monster. Um, and during the course of this adventure, they think, they, they think they're going on a quest to defeat the monster. But it's really a journey of self-enlightenment and it's lots of battles and skirmishes um, wrestling style karate style um so I, I would describe it as a mix between karate kid and big trouble in little china if you can imagine such an unholy combination <laughs> oh, i think that it sounds wonderful to me so um i'm i'm all in um and uh yeah no best best of luck with the campaign um and as i said um the the links in the show notes folks uh but where else can people find you online so yeah, um, I have a website, battle-panda.com, where you can sign up to my mailing list. Um, otherwise, on Twitter, at FahanQ underscore UK. Most recently, I have, and I, I again, I don't know if I should be proud or ashamed to say this, um, started a TikTok channel. Um, <laughs> so if you want to find <laughs> me there. Why not? Why not? Yeah, it's at Fahan Qu underscore because that's the only version I could find of my name. Um, I also upload to YouTube Shorts um, a lot. So over the next month and probably very free, uh, regularly, I'll be uploading comic book creativity, storytelling, art shorts both to my YouTube channel and to TikTok. Um, so choose your flavour. <laughs> <laughs> wherever it takes you fancy fair play uh now um all of that aside unfortunately um whilst we've been chatting um there's been a super intelligent ape uprising just out of nowhere um so my question to you is what is your action plan for survival well I'm kind of glad I got this question and not some of the more difficult questions <laughs> I suppose because, um, <laughs> I don't know in some ways right you think of that super intelligent apes. I am kind of going to appeal to their more compassionate, <laughs> well, not more compassionate, <laughs> side, but their their like um, can reason or something. <laughs> reasonable, but they're, they're prone to self-interest. So I yeah, think you, it, you know, had it been aliens, had it been something else, uh, the zombies, they're very hard to. Um, rationalize with and to talk to but super intelligent apes i guess the plan of action would be um i'm not going to take this down any uh, comedy route of uh, which political parties <laughs> reign over us at any given time um you bet. but um i would say i think you know 
there's opportunity for the apes. Um, mm. But it reminds me of that scene from Superman 2 when uh, Zod and um, his two cronies come and invade, uh, not invade the Earth, they invade uh, Washington, I think, <laughs> which apparently is the same <laughs> thing as the Earth. Um, right. And they're in the White House, and Lex Luthor turns up waving him the, the white handkerchief of surrender and uh, offers to be their henchman, or offers to show them the ropes of how things work. And actually, you know, I'm not siding or associating with Lex Luthor in any way, but it's actually quite <laughs> a smart move. So if the apes, oh. when the apes, or as the apes, um, are taking over, I think they would be open <laughs> to um, yeah. using the resources of this planet because um, there could be ample and sufficient chance for them to thrive and to build a better society or an equal society to what we have. So I think try to um, not run, because I think, you know, it's like being chased by a dog in a park. The faster you run, the faster the dog runs after you. <laughs> um, sure. So I would actually be quite forthcoming and perhaps start to encourage others not to panic because there's some kind of a method in which uh, we can... Uh, be a bit more well i'll reveal the the, the answers as we go through the, the uh <laughs> i don't want to give a whole game plan away in the first absolutely few <laughs> absolutely so um yeah in in this kind of this plan of yours you manage to get to the uh upper echelons of uh the super intelligent apes and kind of start to converse and they're intrigued by your proposal um and they find out that you know um you you are a comic writer um and so um they start asking you questions about this um fangled comic book industry <laughs> that you were part of and uh, the first com- uh, the first question they ask is what's the first comic you remember enjoying yeah it's interesting I was, I was given I remember the first comic I read quite vividly actually and I clearly must have enjoyed it um without wanting to date myself too much it was the 80s and um mm-hmm. there was this news agency past our school and we would go to it I think my mum would take us in it, it would have been like every day, then it turned to every week, <laughs> every two weeks, mm-hmm. and then we would start to maraud the shelves. But we were allowed to pick one comic a week, from what I remember. Um, and I remember the first one I picked up was this um, Incredible Hulk comic. And it was really like quite... I've always been like interested in stories which are kind of a little bit rooted... Do you know what I mean? It's like, um, mm. rather than, you know, Thor and Superman and those type of things, the Hulk seemed like it could, like, happen because it was it was a site, it was an experiment where it went wrong with gamma rays, and there was a, a bit of real world logic behind it. And I think that and and the Amazing Spider Man was um, out at the same time, which was about a boy being um bitten by a radioactive spider. So I think I did resonate more to those type of comics because it felt like without too many leaps of, you know, without too many degrees of separation from reality, you could actually see that. And, you know, when... uh, We'll talk about horror books later, I'm sure, right? Or scary scary stories. But it's kind of those stories that resonated with me more. And there was a TV show 
It starred Bill Bixby as Bruce Banner and Lou Ferrigno as the Hulk, and that was quite. You know, the, the, the production values, the, the VFX back in those days, it was kind of all in, in camera captures. So everything had to happen on set. And I think I remember the, the intro and um, Bruce Banner saying to that reporter, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And it just felt mm-hmm. like such a simple concept. Um, so that, that was probably the first one. I think as... I took a bit of a break from comic books because of study and university and all of that stuff. I remember going back to it. And, you know, this comes back to what was the first book I actually enjoyed. Because when I went back to the Hulk, I read World War Hulk. Um, and I found it quite... I mean, it, it, it didn't match the expect or the memories I had of the Hulk. Not that I thought Hulk was a fun character, but mm. it was... It was um, I don't know. I personally found it because my expectations were elsewhere, it was a bit of a tough read and it's a bit disappointing because back then, comics were actually fun and you picked them up because you wanted to erase it. Just because they were fun, it doesn't mean they didn't have real points to make about the world. And, you know, that's something I've taken into my writing is you can still make real points about humanity, the human psyche, about the world. You can still you can do it in a very dark, morose way, which is, is fine. Lots of writers go down, but for me, it resonated that with a smile, with a bit of a sense of humour. Um, you can still get those points across, and I felt that's what those earlier comics were doing because they felt mm. as crazy as a Hulk <laughs> sounding like they, they seemed. Not at all, friendly. man. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I found comic books, then when I got back into it everything took itself so seriously and i think right you know even um other aspects of life even even playing football or watching football used to be fun and then mm. it got serious and you watch you watch fans at football stadiums and it's like is anyone actually having fun <laughs> this whole thing or, or not um, it's a love hate relationship <laughs> yeah so um, those are the first books i remember um and we used to get one a week um so yeah, it, it was. Um, but it, that's probably like my earliest memories of it. I can't. Don't ask me the issue number, please. <laughs> yeah, I know, not at all, not at all. Uh, but where, where, where were you picking up your um, your comics when you were a younger lad? So we didn't really access. I don't know. I mean, we we didn't really have access to what you would call a traditional comic book store. Mm-hmm. Um, it was literally what you could find out of the any news agency around town, which is probably why I devoured them, because I didn't know where to get them. (laughs) And I'm sure there must have been places in the 80s to get comics for them. It it perhaps wasn't in my um, Mm. my, radius of things that I I had easy access to. So um, I don't know, other kids were bringing comic books, you kind of read them in the playground look over someone's shoulder and try to read it mm-hmm. as best as you could but you know it was the talk of it it was um learning from other kids about these stories and there's only the incredible hulk and the amazing spider-man on tv um later on came for cartoons the spider-man cartoons uh and spider-man and his amazing friends which had the iceman and the um the fire character so it's kind of like getting into that universe, 
but not having as much access to the physical books. We're still still knowing about uh, how those universes would unfold. Right. Yeah. And so when you were picking up comics, did you instantly think that, you know, I'd love to give this a go at writing myself or drawing? Oh, yeah. Or, um, yeah, so you were you were keen as mustard from the get-go. I mean, I, I wrote, I've got it behind me, actually. Um, Amazing. I wrote, um, I must have been six or seven, possibly, and it's very crudely drawn. Um, sure. But I would take, I was given a diary, I didn't use the diary to actually write stuff in. I used the diary to, to draw out comic books. And there's this magazine when we, we were kids called The Looking. And The Looking had um, like two page comic books, like um, I guess you'd call them serializations each week. So I made my own version with shows that I would like to see. Um, and I would write four pages of one show or one comic strip. And then another one I had a some kind of like superhero elastic type man adventure story. I had a, a fall guy type story, which was based upon this stunt man. I had this um, <laughs> Dr. Octopus story, a Knight Rider story and an A-team type story. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah, so I guess I wrote about what was that? Five times, 20 pages, just of four different stories. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I, I did have an inkling that I, I would want to explore it, but um, obviously when life gets serious with uh, school and studies, GCSEs and all sure. of that, so it got parked for a little bit. Yeah. But it was always there in the background. Yeah. I mean, I think perhaps your listeners may, may or may not know this, but I think from the demographic that I'm from, Mm. Uh, you wouldn't see many people like I, I'm from a Pakistani um, immigrant family um, mm. and Asians back then were it wasn't considered respectable if you like um, or a career choice that that we would generally be um, oriented towards so it, I was kind of swimming against the tide <laughs> in two respects <laughs> Try, yeah. trying to um, yeah do this STEM uh, type of study route, but really my, I think what I perhaps is be- am better suited at is more of the art side uh, and the storytelling side. So, you know, I, I, it, it, it was, it was a, a lot of friction <laughs> involved in, in getting the, right. these uh, books uh, to market or even getting stories done, written. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and, you know, when you managed to, you know, get your first publication out there. Um, how did that feel for you? Oh, goodness me. Um, so before I wrote my first comic book, I actually wrote um, a few non-fiction books and I launched them on Amazon. So mm-hmm. I was able to to have written, they, they were all on Kindle and some print on demand. So I got the feeling of getting books into my hand. Uh, before that, I worked in the film industry uh, as a VFX artist, and I, I actually directed a few films beforehand. And each of those art forms is really, really interesting to take an idea from concept, all of the work involved just to get it made, then quadruple that amount of work <laughs> for the marketing, mm. uh, and then add a bit more for the distribution. 
but my first comic book, Digitopia, I didn't really... I, I'm, I'm one of these people who will try things because I want to learn and I want to mm. to do things. Um, so when I wrote Digitopia issue one, um, I remember the excitement of seeing the pages come together through the layouts to the inks, the colours, the letters, but it was always in digital format until <laughs> we had mm. the PDF and we sent it to the printer and we got a print proof and the envelope came through the door and your heart is pounding, it's literally pounding. Mm. So I... I did what any um, self-respecting person would do in 2017. I, I set up a YouTube video <laughs> to, to <laughs> do the unboxing. <laughs> um, and I remember Absolutely. thinking, I'm going to record. I don't know what's in this envelope. And luckily, it was not a YouTube live. <laughs> so yeah, um, actually right. opening up the envelope, and you, I can even give you the link to the video. You'll see it in yeah. my, the, the, my eyes, my the dilation of the pupils, the breathing as I... <laughs> And it. <laughs> as you pull it out and you start to see the colours and you pull the envelope back, you're like, wow, what did we just do? <laughs> Amazing. So it is, um, wow, it's, if nothing else, I would encourage people to pursue their dreams just for for all the work, about one moment, not even moment, literally those five seconds from unpeeling the envelope to sliding the book out until you see the whole cover. Mm-hmm. Um it it is a feeling that's so hard to describe. So I, you know, encourage as many people to do that as possible. That's brilliant, fantastic. Um, now uh, heading back to our uh, ape conversation, um, the next question that crops up from our uh, super intelligent ape leader is: What's the funniest comic or most laugh out loud moment in a comic that you've read? Yeah, so this is actually feeds into my master plan with the apes, right? <laughs> it's Excellent. Bit... It's all coming together. <laughs> the first thing you need to do is win them over with humour. Um, this may be a uh, not controversial, but people might gloss over this, but it was actually a Simpsons comic. In fact, where is it? Great. I have it behind me. I can, give you, I can actually give you an issue number on this. What is this? Simpsons number 13, Bartman, Bartman Returns. Um, Brilliant! I think I've seen this before. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, I got into this bad habit of when I took the train home from work, I would pop into WH Smith's and get a snack, and then you know, whilst waiting for the train, peruse um, the magazines, Total Film, and uh, you know, SFX and CG Weekly. Then this comic was there, and I thought, no, come on, you can't get a Simpsons comic. Next day, you can't get a Simpsons comic. Then eventually, cracked (laughs) after the third day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the reason I found this funny is because, um, well, obviously it's The Simpsons, but it's really accessible. So in terms of when you go into a new book, a new story, you need a bit of runaway. You need a bit of time to get used to the characters, um, to kind of get the humor. And to some degrees, you're taking a bit of a risk. What I found mm-hmm. with this is because I was familiar with the IP, um, they they can get straight into straight into the gags from page one. Yes, and yeah. um, you know in, in this one, I think there's four stories in here, um, and they're four very different stories of different characters. But you didn't need any lead in because you, you kind of know what the stories are. And I think this is where comics really sets itself apart from 
TV or film, but is to make these unique stories, they can do it at a reasonable cost compared to the production expense of trying to put it into a TV show. Um, sure. So the stories in this comic book, I doubt they'd take such a big risk and put them on TV. Um, yeah. And, it, you know, you, you, you're bought into that. You kind of know the backstories already. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, as well, you know, there's other comics as well, but for this one, I, I keep going back to it because um, it's kind of like comfort food. <laughs> it's a comfort yeah. reading, perhaps. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that, yeah, that's um, that's a really good point um, about the whole kind of you know you know the backgrounds and um, the inside jokes already, and they can like really utilize that. Yeah, and there's um, things and hidden in the panel, not hidden. There's things in the back of a panel or in a corner of the panel, that, yeah. you know, are a yeah. nod to something else, which is um, just kind of adds to it so much more. Very good, and of course, yeah, as you said, like the title of that particular issue was "But uh, Bartman Returns," and you know, obviously leans into Dark Knight Returns, um, and they they've they've at least kind of yeah got the you know the lightning strike. Yes, behind and things like that. So, like, there's a there's a nod, obviously, to you know, uh, comics like yeah, <laughs> comic book history. Villain, I won't give away who the villain is, but yeah. <laughs> it's so clever how they have obviously there's copyright. They they can't take the Batman characters, but no. they can certainly uh, color the wigs <laughs> and the, <laughs> in a particular and way. <laughs> Exactly. Hey, voila. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, now, changing gears quite suddenly, what's the saddest comic that you've read? So I did this thing. Normally, and it, I started reading a lot, um, and I've always been a kind of person who will stick through something from start to end, whether it be a, a book or a movie or, you know, even a TV show. Then mm-hmm. I, I remember vividly, and this isn't the book, but I'll kind of help you explain my mindset towards sad, sad, sad things. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone says, you know, looking at English literature, I got into literature because I wanted to write. And people say, oh, you should read the Mayor of Casterbridge. Oh, what a great book, the Mayor of Casterbridge. So I thought, okay, <laughs> I got a Mayor of Casterbridge out. Um, no word of a lie. I got to page 99. Mm. And I couldn't figure out what, nothing's actually happened. And it, when right. I got to page 100 and I turned the page, I thought, there's another 150-odd pages or 200 more pages of this. I actually gave up. And that was the first time I've given up on a book. And it kind of has changed my mindset a little bit to life is too short and there's mm-hmm. the infinity pool of content is too big. So when there I start to read sad stuff, I've now, since that point, actually abandoned a few things. Um, and I, I, I think to answer your question more directly, it's probably, you know, the Wanda, the Scarlet Witch stories, um, you know, they're, they're quite, I found to be, she goes through a lot of trauma. Um, I think that there's one issue where she has to give up her kids to get to an alternate reality. Um, and, and, and I think it's really, there's another one where she goes through so much trauma because of things that are happening outside of her control because she can kind of see this stuff. And I just thought it was, it was really 
kind of heart-wrenching, like in a way that humans, we go through so much anguish, sometimes to, for the greater good, other times because we're really acutely sensitive to other human suffering. Um, so, I mean, I don't tend to search out sad stories. It just happened to be this was one. Uh, of those, I, I kind of did feel a lot of empathy um, to, towards uh, the situations she was in. And, you know, it's important to write this stuff. It's important. Not everything yeah. will be fun, fun, fun all the no, time. No. It is important to, to, to um, acknowledge that there, there's a lot of pain and suffering in the world. Um, yeah. And it can also, it can really, these type of stories can can help us understand our own situation sometimes can't they because um, you can kind of relate to it and then you're like oh, yeah i see what you mean and then that kind of like that's a almost a transferable emotion <laughs> or something to your own life yeah i think we're in this society of seeing human trauma and human suffering and people allowed to put comments below it and comments mm. which are totally ambivalent and comments which are there for people to not have a laugh, but a what joke can I make out of someone else's human suffering? Mm. With, well, I think with that story, it does kind of like people should at least give it an opportunity, give it a chance. Mm. Um, because when, when you transpose the situation, when you actually feel empathy, then is how can you just watch... It, I don't know, I find it very hard to watch the news at all or watch mm. things that get put on social media without wanting to contribute to a cause or to take action or to do something. And, you know, the flip side of that is the comment sections below and people writing about how some people deserve this. It's like, <laughs> well, what? I don't know how people write this stuff. But, and that's why I think we're exploring that someone who's acutely empathetic those types of stories are so you know flipped to what the opposite is and i think given the choice it's better to be overly empathetic than to be um kind of in this social media soundbite world where nothing is kind of real and i'll just flip i'll just scroll to the next story mm. um so yeah it, it's um I, th I think comics are a way to to help people kind of con consolidate that. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, now, um, switching gears once again, what's the scariest comic that you've read? So it kind of goes back to um, a lot of the stuff I um, I said probably up front about when things are more realistic, to me they're more scary. Um, I remember like you know, watching lots of scary movies or so-called scary movies, but it was the ones that felt like they could actually happen. Um, mm, yeah, uh, yeah. The, the, the two, I, I will I'm just talk about these two movies very quickly, then I'll actually answer your question. Um, yeah. two, two of the scariest, or well, the scariest movie I think I saw growing up uh, was The Omen, um, mm. Damien 666, all that kind of stuff, because it, it wasn't, ghosts it wasn't exorcisms it was a kind of like they're happening in Guildford <laughs> happening in, uh, in places that you can be 
And the other movie yeah. that got me was the original Mad Max movie. Uh, right. Because it shows how quickly society can break down and yeah. the, 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 how law can get bankrupted, law, law order enforcement can get bankrupted quickly and how society can implode. So yeah. for a comic book was um, The Killing Joke, uh, the Batman book, uh, mm. I'm a Joker. And my, a friend of mine said to me, you should read this book. I thought, yeah, okay, Batman, <laughs> Joker, mm. you know, it, thinking it's going to be um, some kind of 70s Adam West type comic book. But um, <laughs> yeah, right. I, the, the things that the... The Joker does to his victims, especially at the fairground. I don't want to give any um, spoilers away to any readers, but there's some dark stuff. But it's not um, scary in the sense of, um, you know, in the sense of poltergeists and these kind of um, things that take you out of reality. It's very, very real. This stuff that is mm-hmm. happening, um, it is only a few degrees of separation of what can happen when society starts to get complacent and um, injustices allow themselves to be compounded. And, and, and like in a Batman movie, when good people don't do anything about it. Um, so I, I remember it. Luckily, I, I read that on the bus. I did also read uh, and watch The Walking Dead um, just yeah. before, just during lockdown, when everyone started going for walks. Um, mm-hmm. I remember I thought to myself, I got myself this new, uh, I won't name the brand, but I got a watch that counts my steps. Um, nice. And I set a step goal. And I thought, okay, right before bed, I just go for a little walk. I'll walk up to the park. Not a good idea after reading <laughs> Walking Dead. Because, <laughs> you know, I walk up to the park, but then it's pitch black in the park. And I thought, what if I just took three steps? What about oh, four yeah. steps? What about, and then I think, I don't know, Squirrel or uh, Fox rattled the bushes. I was out of there. I thought, I'm putting this book down. I'm not going to be completing this series. Um, but I, I read Batman the Killing Joke on my commute to, to and from work. Um, so if you are going to read a scary movie, uh, a scary book, comic book, kind of do it before it gets dark where you've got enough time for other things to hit your psyche before, before absolutely <laughs> yeah definitely good tip um yeah no there's nothing like yeah having kind of gone through a a terrifying story and then actually finding yourself in a terrifying situation or similar situation <laughs> it's just like not good <laughs> no well <laughs> Say larvae. Um now um moving on to my favourite question and that is what is your favourite cover? Wow. So I mean there, there's a lot. It's for for when I wrote Digitope and write write um, writing Battle Panda, we do a lot of research into covers. Um mm. because we want to get a cover that fits our story. So I I'm not gonna give you the long, long <laughs> the long list. <laughs> um um, one of the books that got me into comics again was Hellboy. And right. It was kind of like the art of Hellboy, but the mm. story of Hellboy as well. And how he's kind of, you know, you, you would think to listen to the, the pitch of it is, is not going to be a likable character. 
Um, mm. And he does a lot of stuff that just has, you know, in, in that what has to be done. But I find the covers of Hellboy to really be quite... Like, like it, it, it talks... I'm, I'm sure lots of comic books do this, but the theme of a cover of Hellboy, if you ever read a Hellboy book, go back to the front cover afterwards <laughs> and just have a look at how things can be foreshadowed, set up. There's mm. this one called Hellboy, uh, The Fury, part one of three, where Hellboy... You know, there's there's a bunch of corpses on the floor with blood over them, knives, swords protruding through them, and Hellboy crouched over them with an axe full of blood. But if you look at how Hellboy's holding the thing, you can tell this was not done unless it had to, you know, without regret and without a sense of respect duty and responsibility and it kind of talks to a lot of those moral dilemmas that we face in life and how comic books are a good way to explore it through the storytelling and through the art um, mm. and when i talk about the art i mean obviously the character design but the composition of these these um, panels the composition of this cover and the color choices they use so if you have a chance um look at look at hellboy uh, the Fury. Um, look out any Hell- Hellboy cover, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they're, they're um, fantastic, aren't they? But yeah, no, um, they are. They're just really, really good. And yeah, I've, 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 I've pulled that one up in particular. Um, and I mean, as as always, Mike Mignola's you know use of negative space is just uh, incredible. Yeah, and that's what I found find with uh, his work uh which hopefully i you know i i don't want my work to be derivative of anyone else's but i want to learn mm. from other people um and he doesn't over complicate it um no. he, he allows the composition space to breathe without over detailing it and allowing mm. the fact that you've seen a few panels before in the impact panel you don't need to see all the details you can have a stark color like a flat color or a gradient um, with the core elements of that story, whatever it may be, it could be the weapon, could be the body, could be the um, transition from one space to another. And it's, it's just, you know, I, I can't think of any other word other than just masterful because it, yeah. it's, he knows that story and to, to put it together with such visual eloquence to to really kind of pause make you breathe make you you know have have an extended beat perhaps some other comic book writers it's like watching a tarantino movie right um hopefully not like watching a tarantino movie in in that (laughs) tarantino can do things but other filmmakers can't because he is tarantino because he has built up um kind of this vernacular. Um, so I think in the comics world, it's kind of a similar thing. He can do things. If I try to do it, well, how I got the um, kind of like the, the, the equity, <laughs> I don't know anyone has the equity <laughs> as, as right. much as Mike Manola has, but it's just really inspirational to see where you can take this media. And he, how many has he written? I mean, it, it, it's not as if it was like a six or seven arc story. He's done a lot. Certainly not. Yeah. 
it's um yeah i don't know how many hellboys have there been my gosh um, and it's the consistency as well of that story um and it just you know you, you keep going well i, I certainly keep <laughs> wanted to go back for more and more but i try to diversify my reading because i i feel like you, you need <laughs> to read a diverse set of uh, books but if there was one story arc that i had you know wanted to just get deeper into then um that that would probably be the one. Nice, excellent, excellent. Um, and then, um, kind of in a similar light, and um, what comic do you repeatedly read the most? So, I would I have the Dark Knight. I got it from a Comic Con. Um, Batman Dark Knight. What is the year on this book? Where is it? It's always with an arm's reach of me, <laughs> except when mm-hmm. I need it more. Actually, I'm making TikTok, uh, YouTube and TikTok on uh, the Dark Knight, so it's uh, downstairs and my little TikTok uh, station that I have. Um, oh, there you go. But I would say I've probably read that. Maybe when I was writing Digitopia, I was mm. studying a lot, and the Dark Knight... Uh, sorry, not the Dark Knight. I beg your pardon. That's obviously a very good book. <laughs> Batman Year mm. One. Is, right. is why I, I meant to say because we were talking about the Dark Knight earlier. It's, uh, I actually worked on um, uh, what I worked on the Batman movie, The Dark Knight, which is why it's on my mind. As uh, one of the CGI artists on that film. Um, wow. Yeah. So I used to be a VFX artist, and um, when I worked okay. on, I would say that movie was the highlight, one of the highest points of my career, because I got to work on a CG bat. So how the bats would. Um, swarm around the bat cave have it swarm around arkham asylum come out of a ninja box mm. um and you know i got to have the privilege or <laughs> didn't feel like a privilege at the time but i got to um do the crowd simulation uh, of have a bat engulf bruce wayne at the point at which bruce wayne discovered his destiny to become batman um right that's why dark knight is uh and i did a little youtube short slash tiktok video on it a couple of days back um but i would say uh, batman year one um again it's kind of i i got batman year one and i got um i got civil war uh marvel civil war at the same comic con um mm. and i put them side by side and straight away i knew that batman year one is something special just by looking at the right. covers, I opened the first couple of pages for each. And this book for me is completely apart from things that I've read. And I, I, I studied the dialogue, I studied the panel composition, I studied the number of panels per page. I studied ha- what happens when you flip the, the page over, how one uh, page turn goes into the other. Everything of this book is done by people who are at the very top of their game. Um, and that's why I go back to it so often, which is why I make a lot of videos about it, trying to um, understand the choices of colours and how they, they reflect the emotions. And on the first page of that book, you see the juxtaposition of um, Gordon coming into Gotham by a train, saying how terrible it is to come into this place by train. There's in no way for Barbara to come into Gotham. Why am I coming here? On the same mm. page, the next few panels, you have Bruce Wayne flying in his uh, in a <laughs> first class jet into Gotham, 
saying it looks so clean down there from from this view from this angle you think it was civilized or that steel construction and whereas the first three panels talk about Gordon wishing he couldn't come to or he wasn't deep into Gotham traveling in the next three panels talk about Bruce Wayne wishing I should be closer I need to be closer uh, and then he comes out of the airport um, and uh, Reporters are there filming him saying, oh, Gotham's favourite son returns. And that's just in page one. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And as you go through it and you, you you read how each chapter closes, there's this sensational action sequence like um, where he's cornered and the bomb squad, well, not the bomb squad, I guess the, the anti-bomb squad, the people who actually want to bomb stuff, <laughs> have him <laughs> cornered. And the caption is, he's cornered. They've got him. Uh, he's cornered and all of his stuff. Then the caption is, he's got them just where he wants them. <laughs> and it's like, mm, okay, that that is completely flipping my expectations of what is happening in this page uh, or this, this set of pages. So that draws me in so much. Um, and yeah, I, I just kind of understanding how you you develop character and how you write character um, how you write not just action sequence but motivated action sequences because a character wants to make a change a positive change but through failure and failure and failure the lessons learned start to contribute towards the hero that he will become and mm. if you read the introduction to that, that book that book was written after what, however many years since the original one and they had a lot of time and um, they went back and he went back to the core elements of the Batman universe and rewrote it. And I mean, again, I, I encourage people if they haven't uh, to pick this book up. Hundred percent, man, absolute classic. Um, and yeah, as you say, it's uh, very um, readable again and again. Um, so yeah. Um, good, good choice. Um, now moving on uh, to another of my favourite questions, and that is, what's the most meaningful comic to you? Yeah, I mean, this one's uh, uh, this was a book which actually probably made me understand that I want to write comic books. Um, when I look at the, mm. the the impact that comic books can have over other mediums, it's a book called Palestine by Joe Sacco. I think it's in 2003 it was written. Um, and in this book, he goes and shows the situation which people will feel that it comes with a certain amount of baggage. And with with a situation, you know, or, or a lot of tension for lots of people. And it kind of resonates, I don't know, you know, as a um, as a Muslim, right, it resonates a lot of the, the pain and anguish of what's happening in there. And when I read this book mm-hmm. um, and actually see it in a way that is portrayed, you know, it, it's it's done differently to how the BBC <laughs> might report something, right? <laughs> um, sure. <laughs> or sure. much less CNN or um, other news agencies. I'm not saying anything is good or bad about any of these i'm not inferring anything yeah. but the he went there he drew it okay 
Um, so it wasn't for a camera lens. He could pick up details, dwell on details, dwell on inner emotions of what goes on in a way that puts me as a reader, anyone who reads this book, to create a, a space for you to see things differently than I think, you know, this 60 second social media or 15 second social media world that we live in now. Um, yeah. Without the, the cause for judgment, there was another uh, thing, uh, animated movie came out uh, a little later called Waltz with Bashir. And, you know, when you look at the style of the, the illustration, the color choices, he uses quite a limited palette. Uh, mm-hmm. It kind of like mooted colors. It's not, it's different to any comic book that I think I've read at that point and probably since, because it, it came from such, it came from a place of sincerity. It came from a place of, if you, I can change, you know, lofty ambition of changing the world, but if I can change one person's perspective and cause one person to advocate for something that they wouldn't have done, and I could be advocating it many different ways um, and kind of show how what you see in the mainstream media with whatever biases, agendas they have, you can actually question it and think if this is a situation here, then everything else, all the other things that you are being presented to, presented, they will also have a part of a story which is not presented and not represented in any way. So I would say for me, that's probably been the most meaningful comic. It's, it is a tough read. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> it's, sure. um, it, it um, you know, I, I think it should be required reading at in history lessons at schools. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think people should know about it, but if you present it, comics has a way to present really tough and difficult material and allow you to take it at your own pace, which I don't think, as much as I love film and animation, because that's my, my um, where I earn a crust, um, you can take a comic book and you can go at any pace you want to go at it. You can hold on, you know, and I tend probably tend to hold on things a little bit longer than... <laughs> Uh, other people but there's times where you don't even need captions or speech balloons at all um because you've built up to an understanding of something that um the the, the only next place from there is to actually go there (laughs) and live it Mm -hmm. and then you'll see kind of like a lot of stuff that will see the good in humanity see 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 the uh self-interest of humanity and how media manipulations work and you know that's what i try to do with digitopia um see i was nowhere and still am nowhere (laughs) and they're skilled a proponent (laughs) but um i would say that's been the most had the biggest impact upon me wanting to to make comic books wow that's amazing um and uh just testament to yeah the power of comics so um that's amazing um now heading back to our um ape leader continuing his questioning um what's the most underrated comic that you've read 
One of the most impactful political situations of our times. <laughs> Two. I'm, I'm going from Wanda, Scarlet Witch to human emo- uh, human empathy to the killing joke <laughs> to um, Hellboy uh, and then um, Palestine. It, I mean, people might scoff at this, right? But I think Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, you know, it kind of, it started off and it's, it's taken various guises over the time. But, you know, it, it, the, the core concept of it was really smart, I thought. Um, and I think perhaps because of a title of a book, people can mm-hmm. somewhat dismiss it. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying this is the best oh, comic book in the world, but, you know, the question is underrated. Um, I think there's a... Yeah. No, I'm not going to say what I think is an overrated comic book because I don't want to cause it <laughs> to anyone who likes those books. But um, in terms of just based upon the question of uh, underrated. Um, yeah. And again, you know, well, it's not always fun stories. And there are some... Uh, actually, I saw in um, Fantastic Crossover in the, in the comic book store last week of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and another IP. Um, again, which people might scoff at, right? Uh, Power Rangers and mm-hmm. stuff, but um, you know, I I think it's dangerous to to for people to just dismiss. Always, works. yeah, yeah, totally. And particularly, I mean, one that's you know undoubtedly been very influential in in pop culture mm. as it is today. Um, and yeah, no, people, a lot of people don't realise that that's where you know. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comes from, yeah, um, and the actual kind of yeah, the background of it, really. Um, yeah. That's that's definitely an untold story. I, I mean, think. I, I don't think a book will go on IP will go through, stand the test of time. Go through so many stories and iterations if there wasn't something behind it. <laughs> no, um, exactly. Yeah, you know, if you, if we look at you know, I look at things like. Um, he-Man or Thundercats, right? They mm-hmm. were quite influential, but they seemed to have an enthusiasm and the reboots just kind of somewhat fizzled out. And, you know, the, 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 I yeah. know it's a big Netflix thing done. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that, that was by Kevin Smith, who was, who was a big fan of the IP, right? It, it, it had, with Teenage Mutant... TMNT, <laughs> even though it doesn't, it just doesn't sound right. Teenage Mutant Ninja. T- I see why people um, <laughs> dismiss it, but you know, it doesn't need some kind of big, deep, opulent title because it's appealing to. No, no, no I don't. I won't even say it appeals to kids. It appeals to. I think the reason I like these stories is because it can help take us back a little bit to when we were that age, in those. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of losing the innocence of of life of childhood in, into teenagehood um, and having to do things and kind of live through circumstances, live through scenarios or situations that are new. And, you know, it doesn't matter how, at what stage of life you are. If you're older than a teenager, then you, you clearly were a teenager <laughs> at some point. Um, and I think that's why I like stories like Karate Kid so much. Yeah. Is because it, it can take you back to that time, and for a moment you can kind of forget about all the grown-up 
responsibilities and pressures and stresses of the modern world, modern world sure. imposes upon us. But remember when you, you had those challenges for the first time. And, you know, I think th those kind of stories for me are, are things that I, I like to read uh, and, and watch is kind of going back to to high school. I almost wish I could turn the clock back or time could freeze yeah. at some point. Always, if only, if <laughs> only. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and then coming on to our last question in regards to comics, if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse, which would it be? So I am a big fan of Big Trouble in Little China. Um, and I got this book. It's Big Trouble in Little China meets Escape to New York. And it was... Um, Kurt Russell character played Jack Pilson and he played Jack, uh, sorry, he played um, in Escape to New York, um, the, the Pilson character and in Big Trouble in Little China played the Jack Burton character. And I saw this movie, I saw this book and I, you know, sometimes you see books and you think, hmm, should I, shouldn't I, or how much does it cost? Or, mm -hmm. I had no, <laughs> no hesitation. It was not a second. <laughs> I thought, I am going to buy this book. Um, yeah, and it it's, takes two IPs, takes the character, takes the concept of time portal, because it, it physically drawn as the same character, just one of them with that crazy um, white vest type T-shirt he wears in Big Trouble Little China, driving the van, uh, driving the truck, and mm -hmm. the same character but with an eye patch and a long trench coat, and the confusion he has going from one portal to another, and the fact that he brings the ghost with him. Or <laughs> from one portal to the other, uh, yeah. and the, the other um, character doesn't understand it's him from a different universe. Um, again, I, I just if if for nothing else to help me uh, show this to the apes <laughs> to yeah. kind of blow their mind that such a thing is possible, and then you know spend <laughs> their ear over several hours talking to them about the movie, hyping it up, building it up. To then play these movies and for them not to be disappointed. <laughs> Oftentimes, you, you can hype stuff up. People get disappointed with it. I think it, with this, this delivers. Um, and you know, for me, again, learning stuff, just having the gumption to write this kind of content, uh, to write things that are—I wouldn't say so out there, but I would say it's out there enough. It kind of, you know, again, going back to what I said about when things can be slightly, you know, one, two, or even three degrees of separation or mental leaps you need to make. Mm. I think for me, that's a really good place. I mean, one degree, yeah, it's kind of realistic. Um, things, you know, TV shows like The Office, for example, are good examples of how that works. You it's definitely, it's real, it's there, that could happen, that does happen second degree of separation where you, you you kind of let your imagination a little bit you loosen the leash third degree of separation you let the the imagination run wild but it's still set here and i think that's probably why i didn't resonate with or i personally <laughs> did not resonate mm -hmm. as much with some of the marvel stuff um mm -hmm. and with superman because it it Having said that, I love Star Wars, but I felt Star Wars was kind of like a mirror. 
um, mm. onto what we could be just set in a galaxy far, far away with big trouble, little China and escape to New York. I would say these fall into that sweet spot between the second varying towards a further degree of separation of, you know, me as a reader in the world that I live in now. Um, right. And, you know, the, the art style is kind of like, I wouldn't say it's caricature, but it, it's, again, it's kind of traversing a space where you could see it going one way, but they, they kind of, again, take it to a certain degree to give it a really visual, distinct look. Um, and it's just thoroughly enjoyable with, with, with a decent adventure, a good adventure, I would say, um, and personality, and it just oozes charisma. It oozes charm in an odd kind of a way because of his his innocent arrogance to which I'm talking about the Jack Burton character here. Um, right. He's got this naive arrogance. He, he he thinks he's really good. I think it's called self-efficacy. And I think we all have this high degree of self-efficacy where maybe me. <laughs> I don't know maybe, if it resonates <laughs> with you. When, when you feel you're better than you actually are, and then circumstances right. tell you that it's not the case, but you're, 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 or the character, my naivety says, no, actually, I think I, I think that does work, and kind of ignoring <laughs> some of the data points behind, and you think, oh, well, if I just did this one other thing, if I tried this, and then it's the fact that he keeps trying that, what's the saying? The harder I work, the luckier I get. <laughs> Um, and I think that's kind of like why, why I find this just so endearing and it's been a big influence in my writing uh, movies like, like you know Carrot it's, it's crazy to say Big Trouble Little China's a character led movie right because people think oh, I know character led <laughs> movies have to be a lot more deep and serious but um, having a strong character fault and a character who's willing to not acknowledge, like he's not arrogant. I wouldn't say it's arrogance. Um, he he knows he's vulnerable, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> kind of attitude. Yeah, totally. It's completely lean into it. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, they definitely yeah, do. I, I, it is. Um, you shan't be disappointed. Let me put it that way. No, uh, definitely not. I'm going to see if I can get a copy. Um, for sure, because uh, yeah, I wasn't aware of that one, so that's uh, that's awesome, man. Yeah, that's there's awesome. another called Old Man Jack, which follows him. <laughs> you know, this kind of <laughs> takes the joke to the next level, even as an old man. Oh yeah, no, I I, I can still do, <laughs> I can still do all the stuff <laughs> I could do. So um, yeah, yeah, oh, outrageous, outrageous. Um, now, along with that, what weapon, tool, or useful item? Would you like to take into the apocalypse as well? Ah, now this is to defeat the or to um, quell the the the, the, uh, the, the super intelligent apes. Yeah, yeah. So I was thinking then, having kind of got them into the mindset of actually us humans, we not only are we quite useful, you could have a lot of fun mm. with us. Um, not with, with us, you could have fun alongside us, I should say <laughs> there's no need to uh, to to um, kill uh, the goose that laid the golden egg um, yeah, right. so 
<laughs> this, this is almost ridiculous because I, I, I've spent the last um, hour or so rubbishing uh, these particular platforms. But um, I was thinking, whilst doing all of this, have a group of developers or designers kind of rebrand some of the things that have driven our culture to distraction and create ApeTube and ApeTalk um, <laughs> <laughs> to really get these uh, intelligent, you know, test the limits of their intelligence and have them watch humans on skateboards thinking, oh, this is yeah. really funny. <laughs> or, um, <laughs> you know, human videos so we can get back on the cat videos um, and kind of just, you know, e- e- to the extent of getting them involved in some of our distraction-based culture. So they take their eye off the ball, at which point they're so distracted through ApeTube and ApeTalk that they start making videos on it and forget <laughs> about overrunning <laughs> um, humanity because they're trying. They're, they're yeah, concerned about how many likes did this video get, how many views did what could I do to change the algorithm, and all this crazy stuff we do, me included. I, yeah. I hold my hands up to this. Um, sure. And just kind of refreshing their their feeds and phones and use our um I won't say the name of this particular AI but using our um ape defeating GPT <laughs> to um <laughs> to kind of um start um putting in plans uh, as of the intelligent apes we, we if they're as intelligent as we are then it will be very easy. If not we'll have to create more more um, ape books and um, Insta ape um, to, to distract them further, and as they they uh, their noses in our phones, we can get rid of our phones. We can get rid of our distractions, um, which is ironic because I'm going to ask people to follow me on TikTok in a moment. <laughs> but um, <laughs> then quell them, and without even need to club them because their intelligence will. Um, start to erode and hopefully if we can get back to doing meaningful work and living meaningful lives and actually helping one another um I, you know overcome not overcome like there's a struggle but actually being more humane to one another and when we are more humane to one another then it's not as any governments or um regimes get overthrown but just we get better leaders we get better mm. people going into government or politics or whatever because we're just yeah. better as a society. The fact I think a lot of suffering we have is because, you know, we blame, oh, well, that politician, that politician, that leader, that president, that prime minister, whatever. But what we don't understand is these presidents, these prime ministers, these leaders, these politicians come from within our, within the community. So when our levels are so low, what do we expect the best of a culture that is consumed with, you know, um, insignificant pastimes? What, do we, what did we expect was going to happen? Whereas if we get the apes to do that, then their leadership <laughs> will we'll fall apart. Yeah, they'll <laughs> fall apart and they'll start thinking, oh, well, I, I, I need to uh, get on a skate. Can I get a human to ride a skateboard <laughs> around? Um, exactly. And at which point we can start to do, you know, write more books, um, create better quality media, um, and you know, make make real change in our own world. Uh, that these intelligent apes will uh, 
feel a bit sheepish after having wasted as much time as we have wasted. <laughs> and then have their own <laughs> side. Actually, best thing is um, they'll leave of their own accord without any uh, blood, ape or human having to be spilt. Exactly. Very cool, man. Very cool. Love it. Um, and uh, yeah, no, more, more, more than happy to, to provide all of that. So... Um, all in all, uh, Farhan Qureshi, thank you very much for sharing your comics with the Apocalypse. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Oh, pleasure. Um, and uh, for the listeners, one more time, where can they find you online? So go to battle-panda.com to sign up to my um, email list. I've got some really good, some nice goodies for you if you love fun comic books uh, and really art and storytelling sign up to my uh, email list there. Uh, otherwise, um, I think my TikTok channel is FahanQU underscore. <laughs> Very catchy, right? Um, but head over <laughs> to Kickstarter, uh, go in the search button, type in Battle Panda. Uh, you'll see a result, hopefully the first result, unless anyone else is writing Battle Panda books. Uh, you'll say yeah. Battle Panda 1 plus 2. And there, join me in Kickstarter. Issue 1 is complete. We are funding for issue two, but I understand people may not have got issue one. So whether you're, you're, you're a returning backer who wants issue two or you're a new reader who loves fun comic books, loves adventures, just really give yourself a treat. You know, we live in slightly tough times, but, you know, why not treat your... I wouldn't say treat yourself. You will make an investment in a book that will help change and bring a lot of happiness. Or certainly I hope it will bring a lot of happiness and, you know, self-enlightenment through um, pandas and wolves and cats and owls going on outrageously fun, uplifting adventures. That's fantastic, man. That's fantastic. And, of course, all of those links are in the show notes, folks. So feel free to go uh, follow Farhan here, there and everywhere. Um, but uh, other than that, it's been really good to chat, mate. And, uh, yeah, no, hopefully our paths will cross at a con at some point in the future. I hope so. No doubt. You take care, mate. Thank you very much. Ciao for now. Bye. Thanks again to Farhan for being on Comics with the Apocalypse. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review for us on iTunes or Spotify or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Farhan's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes along with all links to various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene's website at comicscene.org for comic news and other fun sequential art stuff. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the near future, I'll see you next time. Bye for now. <laughs>